So in the last um, few weeks, we've been really kind of circling to like what the Bible calls the day of the Lord, which is kind of like when God kind of deals with the evil of the world and sort of sets everything right. And we, we were kind of wrestling with that last week of, you know, where is the like balance between justice and mercy? And, and it, it, it's hard. Like reading some of the stuff is really hard. Um, but, but really it's the whole idea of, you know, whenever people watch the news and they say things like, man, why does God let, blank happen or why if there's a good god why does why is this happening in the world essentially these chapters are the answer to that it's like god is going to deal with this stuff it's just in his timing and god is a gracious god Um, we're going to talk about that actually when we get into 18 just god is a god of like second chances really even up to like the last moment there's going to be a moment um, in 18 where you really see like God still, like, give him a chance to, like, get out of this? Like, really? Like, yeah, that's the character of God. So, um, you know, the the questions that we're going to kind of wrestle with tonight is, you know, when you think about, well, let, let me just throw this out. Let me just ask this, ask this out to get you guys kind of thinking. What are some of, like, the big picture, like, issues in our the world that you're like, man, I this really is a problem that, like, I wish God would just step in and do something about. What are some big picture issues that you think Talking about? Talking about cancer? Sure. Yeah. So people having, people having cancers, dying from cancer, getting sick from cancer. Okay. What else? Natural disasters. Natural disasters. Okay. Discrimination. Yeah. 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 Okay. What else? What are some other? Yeah, let's go more from the man-made variety because that's really what this is going to get into a little more. Not so much the stuff that we're talking about. That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> that revelation doesn't really deal with, unfortunately, that much. It does at the very end, but not in this section. What are some other like kind of man-made broken things that you see in the world? Sure. Like what kind? Different institutions, like I know, like either pharmaceutical or the metal medical industry. Yeah. Has a lot of issues mm-hmm. where they can overcharge or whatever. Yeah. Which can put it hard on a lot of, like my brother who's got yeah. diabetes. Like. <laughs> that's getting addressed tonight. That's gonna get that 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 that. It's gonna get addressed. <laughs> this is gonna get addressed tonight. <laughs> Um, what else? What are some things you're like, man, this is just terrible that people do this to each other? LGBT. Okay. It's still a huge issue. Just the dis- kind of discrimination going on with what Jake was talking mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. I'd say gluttony, particularly in the financial sense. Just people hoarding, especially unnecessarily. Yeah. Yeah. So go ahead. I was gonna say like labor stuff, like a lot of kind con- like child labor and all that stuff, and just people being mistreated. We're gonna get into that tonight. <laughs> Not specifically, but really, this it you will you'll see you'll see. So let me read um, seventeen one through eight, and then we'll kind of we're gonna do. I'm gonna say because there is. some caution to get in the weeds too much on some of this stuff. Um, I'm going to stay pretty 30,000 feet general just because, yeah, I think you can miss. I, I always want to err on the side of caution. I don't want to, like, say this is for sure this thing, and then it's like, well, but, like, four other people say it's, like, a very different thing. So, um, so just kind of with that in mind. So the chapter 17, verse one, one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls came and said to me, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits on by many waters with her. The Kings of the earth committed adultery and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness 
There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered in blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet and was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things, with the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw the woman that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and, seven, and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beasts, because it was, now is not, and yet to come. So I'm going to stop there for a second. So probably should just say out of... Um, kind of from jump on this conversation is that I think when you read this, it's like, wow, this is like pretty disturbing. But I think also, again, the scripture has been used for good in the, over the ages and it also is used for not good. And I think you definitely could look at like this passage and be like, oh, well women, you know, like a generalization, like women are seductive or women are this. And so, you know, and and there's been people who have read this and been like, man, this seems really like sexist. It seems really like objectifying. But I want you to think about how is the church described in a feminine way in the Bible? Isn't that the bride? Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna see the bride in twenty one and twenty two. So if the church is, and God's people are the bride, this is like the opposite of the bride. So that's where like 17, 18, and 19 is like, let me show you the opposite of the bride. So that when the bride comes down the aisle in 21 and 22, it's, there's a huge contrast. And so, and men and women are part of the bride of Christ and men and women are part of the the prostitute and so it's not so much like meant to be like a sexist thing this was just like imagery that they understood they understood and the the prostitute i mean if you look at the description of the prostitute it's kind of like how cars are <coughs> are given femininity and yeah or called their baby yeah 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 and look at if you look at how the prostitute is described you know, there's different, without getting too weird about this, um, there's different kinds of prostitutes. There's different kinds of sex workers. There are people who are trafficked that are, like, forced to, like, live on the streets and, like, they, you know, do sexual favors, to you know, under, under the thumb of somebody. And then there are kind of people who throughout history have learned how to, like, make a really good living at it and who... who are kind of high priced and that's really what the image of this prostitute is it's kind of like those like um i don't even know um, i would say like the purple yeah you know, it was very hard to get a hold of that color right because they didn't have that that color readily available as a dye so to be wearing purple meant you had wealth and right and having the pearls and and precious right. stones right that clearly a manipulation going on. Right, right. And we're going to see how, I mean, the indictment on the people of 17 and 18 is really what you were talking about with people who, like, you get your wealth by exploiting other people. You, you get rich by, you know, manipulating people and by working the system and by abusing other people and using other people that's how you get wealthy. And that's really sort of the epitome of, of this Babylon, which Babylon, so biblical Babylon, um, is that name is used because Babylon in a Jewish mindset is still etched in. Babylon was the nation that came in and attacked Jerusalem. Babylon was the one that came in and destroyed the temple when 
when Jeremiah was the prophet and, you know, if you read the book of Daniel, you know, Daniel and his, and his friends are carried off to, to, to Babylon and they're, you know, they're having to, you know, the whole Daniel and the lion's den and all that stuff. So Babylon is like the epitome of like the anti-kingdom of God, like a, a, a society, a culture, a way of life that is the opposite, that is oppressing um, God's people. And so what we're seeing in 17 and 18 is, you know, there is this mindset and there still is a mindset today. We're going to get into this in a little bit. But, you know, if you give yourself to this, you know, it's this is what life's worth. If I want to have a big house and I want to have, you know, this and this and this. And I want to gain all this stuff. And that's the purpose of your life. And essentially, like, this, these passages are going to challenge some of that. So you've got the, you've got the great prostitute who they call Babylon – but Babylon's just really code for Rome or really any society culture that is just like actively against what God is about, what Jesus is about. It's the kind of same thing as like when we talked about the term antichrist like weeks ago. It's not so much like, oh, who is the antichrist? Let's figure out. It's like, no, these are people who are the opposite in character of Jesus, who are opposite in the way that Jesus lives. That's a, that's an antichrist kind of person. And there's been multiple people. Matter of fact, when John writes in his other letters, he uses antichrist almost always in a plural. There's antichrist. There's many that are like this or, or more than one. So you got... This prostitute sits by many waters. Again, that we've seen in the there's the the seven heads thing. We've kind of talked about that a little bit. Like whenever you, there's seven hills in Rome, you're giving you're getting kind of that idea. Rome sits by many waters. Um, the kings of the earth in verse two uh, committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. You know when the Roman Empire swoops in. And this happens throughout history, right? Even like Nazi Germany. When Nazi Germany comes in through Europe, it goes through France. You know, there's a, there's a segment of French society that says like, well, this is good for me. Like it sucks for my neighbor, but it's good for me. And that happens throughout, throughout history, right? You have – and so that happened with the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire came in and conquered nations, but usually when they came through – there would always be people of power, people of authority be like, well, I'm, I'm cool selling out my country so that I can like get a little extra change in my pocket. And so that's really when it talks about the kings of the earth being committed adultery and being intoxicated. It's like, you know, yes, they might know in their conscience like this is against what I'm supposed to be for. But I see like the intoxication of like what I can gain personally out of this. I can gain power. I can gain authority. I can gain wealth. And so they kind of like, it's like, you know, when you, when you're drunk, you don't think clearly, right? When you're drunk, you make, can make bad decisions. Are we on board with that idea that Mm -hmm. has anybody ever seen somebody or maybe you have made a bad decision when you're, yeah, like it, (laughs) cars like that never happens. (laughs) You never make, but yeah. Right. Like how many, TikToks have you seen of somebody or, you know, doing intoxicated, you know, and you don't have good judgment when you're intoxicated. And that's the idea is that, you know, you might have integrity and you might have good character, but you see like, oh, the possibility of this kind of a life. And so those, your convictions kind of fall away because you're just like, I just want that, that thing. So that's kind of what that's talking about. And we talked about earlier, the purple and scarlet and gold and precious stones. You know, this is, this is that whole idea of we have this seduction in our, not just in the ancient world, but in our, to build a kingdom for yourself, right? Like I want to build a name for myself. I want to be, I want to gain this. I want to have this. And somebody might be like, oh, I don't want that. But I, think about how many people, you know, even like in with charities, like think about how many people are like, 
oh, I'm going to donate this, and there immediately it's tweeted out about there's a new story about it. It's like, you know, Jeff Bezos gave a million dollars to. It's like, well, we talked about this at lunch the other day. Like, a million dollars for Jeff Bezos is like nothing. <laughs> you know, like not to say that it's not generous to to give a million dollars, but um, but I think sometimes you do have people that will be generous because it's like, oh, that's good. That's good for me. You know, it's it's it's, it's that personal gain. It's like I'm going to do this for for what it will get me, what it will benefit me, and so. You know, we have this seduction to build our kingdoms instead of building God's kingdom. And that's really what 17 and 18 get at, um, kind of the, the, what happens when you do that. So let's talk about this prostitute analogy. Why a prostitute? Why do you think a prostitute is a good description for what we've been talking about so far? Why is a prostitute a good thing to contrast with like the bride of Christ? What a, what a, what, I'm going to say what do prostitutes do? And there's obvious things that prostitutes do, but why, why do people go to prostitutes? Like, why is that a thing that still exists? Why, why is that like an industry that has that? Why doesn't that, why doesn't that industry go out of business? I think for some it's feeding a guilty pleasure. Sure. Yeah. There's either a need or a want that they're trying to fill. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps just human weakness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's similar to like to if we talk about porn, it's kind of the same the same idea. You know, you it's something that it's sort of like I would say like it's it's almost like candy or fast food where like you see a commercial. How many times have you like? been watching tv and a commercial for something comes up and you're like oh it looks really good and then you go get it and you're like i feel gross mm-hmm. after i you know i had that thing that really they they photograph to look really delicious i after i eat it i mean there's been multiple times where amy and i have like been watching tv and like mcdonald's comes up and we're like let's go get a big max and then like an hour later like we regret that decision like that why don't we and why and we just do and we talk like we do that and like we're never doing that again like we will do it again yeah yeah and so it's this whole idea of there's something that looks really good on the outside and then when you experience it there's just there's emptiness there's like oh that just feels it doesn't that, that it, I want like you were talking about feeling a need like I want this to fill this need. And then when I have it, it didn't do that. And so there's that empty and there's all that kind of stuff. And I think you see that a ton, again, with this theme of the wealthy and the powerful. I mean, how many like, so when I was growing up, um, VH1 had this series called Behind the Music, which was like, all of these like classic rock bands and like the story and literally everyone was like, they started in a garage and then they played clubs and then they had their first album and then they went on a world tour and became millionaires and they all did drugs. Then somebody usually either dies or like comes close to death or they all hate each other and they break up and then like either they're still estranged or like maybe they figured it out. They're having like a reunion, but like, Every single story, it seemed like, and it was almost like, a, like we didn't have memes in the 90s, but it was almost like that, like a meme. It was like something that like, okay, behind the music, when is, some, when is the car crash going to happen? When is the overdose going to happen? When is the affair going to happen? Like, that's just, you, you could just like see it coming. Like, okay, they got, they went from being like poor and like living out of their van to like being super famous. And this is probably not going to end well. Like, mo- and so... That is, there's this thing, I think, when you get that, a glimpse of that, there's a hunger of like, I want more of that. I want more of that. It's, again, it's that empty thing of, you know, think about like, this is, I may be using some bad analogies, but um, think about like, for me, a bag of chips. Like a bag of chips does not fill you up. But man, if I'm watching a football game and there's a bag of Doritos right here, 
I will just keep eating them. Even though I know, like, I'm not going to be like, oh, man, I eat too... If I eat too many Doritos because I feel gross, not because I'm, like, full. It's just, like... But it's that thing of, like, I just... That's, I got a little hit. Let me get another little hit. Let me get another little hit. Let me get another little hit. It's just this empty thing. Um, so, so that's part of why there's a prostitute analogy. The second is what we talked about before is just this is like the opposite of the faithful bride. And the faithful bride is going to be introduced here in chapter 21 and 22 in, in a, three weeks. So the, on our last, our last session, which is the second of... August. We'll get, we'll, we'll finally get to heaven guys. We'll finally get to see after all this like judgment and all this like crap, we're going to get to see some good stuff. Um, and, and this, and so if you think about the Bible, I'll give you a little bit of a, uh, preview of where I'm going this fall with this story of the Bible series. If you think about the entire Bible as a story of a bride and a groom, and you have, you know, Adam and Eve in the garden is like the beginning of this relationship. And they are super close, right? It talks about God meeting Adam and Eve in the garden. And there was, they just, and then there's sin enters the world and there's, they, they grow apart. But you see like God is this groom, like pursuing, 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 pursuing through all throughout the Bible. And, and even though the, and so we were talking last week about the book of Hosea is essentially like a big object lesson. Like God actually tells the prophet Hosea to go marry a prostitute and like, a not like a theoretical prostitute, like an actual prostitute who, who even though she's married to Hosea, and her name's Gomer, by the way, so I think that's really funny that her name's like just like that's a really beautiful name. <laughs> Meet my beautiful wife Gomer, you know, but she like gets married to Hosea, but continues to go and work as a prostitute. And he has to actually go spend his own money to buy her out of prostitution, and she still keeps going. And, and so it's just like, what in the world? Like, but that is us, you know, that is us. Like we have these moments of being close and intimate with God and we have these moments of walking away. And so, so this is like 17, 18 and 19 is so much like, if you've ever seen, I haven't seen a lot of them. I've seen enough of them. Romantic comedy. Where you have the couple, these, this, this guy and this girl that, like, you know they're supposed to get together. And by the end of the movie, they're going to get together. But there's, like, this other guy that's, like, in the middle that's trying to, like, mess things up, right? It's that, that you know, they start dating and they're like, oh, they're supposed to be with this guy over here. And, like, like 17, 18 is the other guy, essentially. Like, you can think about, like, this is the, 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 the other guy and we, that, that is the, the distraction, um, and so if you think about, um, you know, the imagery, Rome was just the reason why a prostitute would have been a very visceral image is that there's people all over the place in the Roman empire. I mean, we've talked about it a few times in the past, but there was just explicit graphic things happening on the streets of Rome all of the time, right out in full view. And so people were very aware of like, oh, I know what he's talking about. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen a lot of people like that. I know what that's all about. So, um, so the, the contrast is that the kingdom of God is, is uh, essentially uh, someone who fulfills their promises. Like it's not an empty promise, like a prostitute. The, the God, following the kingdom of God is is someone who is a faithful faithful partner with that. Um, so the kingdom of God promises that that if we pursue His kingdom and, and His righteousness first, right? That's like seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all His righteousness shall be added unto you. There's a scripture. Um, that that will fill us in a way that the world never can, but we struggle. <laughs> it's a struggle, right? It's not, this is not easy for us to do. 
Um, and so when we seek something else to fill that, that becomes an idol. So let's talk about idols for a minute. I know idol, we're not just talking about like statues in the ancient world, but what are some idols that you guys see that are in our culture that people make idols of or people idolize? Bono. What's that? Bono. Bono. <laughs> Bono is an idol. Get my phone. My phone's just blowing up here. I need to put, do not disturb on. Who, what, what else are some idols? I mean, political sides. Yeah. Every major athlete. Yeah. Celebrities. Yeah. I would say just like wealth in general. And again, I'm not saying like if you have wealth, you're inherently evil, but there is that temptation that that, you know, think about, think about the difference between like Christianity in Johnson County, Kansas, and Christianity in a place like communist China. Why is the church flourishing in communist China? And like, we have to basically beg people to come back and, and worship in America. What do you think? Any ideas? Because there are so many other idols in this country and in China, there's far less um, to idolize. So they have an easier time seeing God as above everything else. And I think it's also like, do you really need God? I mean, you got you got people and you got your stuff and, you know, like, I find a lot in our faith, at least when I was a youth pastor, you know, like, very rarely did people contact me and say, hey, Tom, I want to talk with you because things are going really well. Things are going great, and I want to tell you about how great things are. Like, no, it'd be like, Tom, I want to talk because my life is on fire right now. Tom, I want to, I want to talk because, like, I don't know what to do. I have all these questions. Like, I can't, I can't probably think on, you know, count of the number of, you know, on, on the fingers on one hand of, like, not people, not times people are like, Tom, I just want to, like, God is so good, and I want to just get together and talk about how great God is in my life. And that's really sad that like, you know, like, and it, you know, I mean, you guys, some of you guys have just, were just there recently, but think about like life as a teenager, right? It's a struggle. I get it. Like it's hard, but you know, so often like we only will run to our faith when we really need it. It's kind of like ibuprofen. It's like, you got it, <laughs> you know, like, and it's, it, we know that it works, but you know, We'll just, you know, but we'll keep it over there in the cabinet. I'm not suggesting you just be popping ibuprofen all day, by the way. That's not my notes. That's not what I'm trying to say. You said it. <laughs> Tom said to do, to take drugs all the time. I know it. Baby aspirin. <laughs> Damn baby aspirin. <laughs> all right, let's, uh, let's keep rolling. We're getting a little bit off track here. Um, I'm going to go back to verse six. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore the testimony of Jesus. When I saw that, I was greatly astonished. The angel said to, said to me, why are you so astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. as She rides, which has seven heads and 10 horns. The beast, what you saw once was now is not, and will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. Now, hold on a second. This is a, this is mentioned at least a couple of times. The once was, now is not, is yet to come or yet will do something. Does that sound familiar for those of you who've been tracking with us? Does that sound familiar to anything else in Revelation? Isn't that very similar to how... Is it the Lord's day is described, or is it the Lord himself? Is go, described? go back to one one eight, oh. right at the beginning of Revelation. 
It's a similar phrase in there. How the Lord describes himself. So he is, he was, or is to come. This one is once was, now is not, and yet will come. So it's like, the, in some ways, it's like the opposite. Like, the whole idea of, of Jesus is like, he's, he's, he's everywhere in history. He's been in the past, he's powerful in the present, he's powerful in the future. This one is, yeah, he was powerful. You know, he's not the king now, and when he comes, he's going to come and be destroyed. So it's like, it's like the op, it's the total swing in the other way on this thing. Um, okay, I'm keep reading here. Um, this calls for the, I'm going to go, I'm going to go down to verse nine. This calls for a mind with wisdom. Seven heads are the seven hills in which the woman sits. There are also seven Kings. Five have fallen. One is the other is yet to come is not yet come. But when he does, he must remain for only a little while. The beast one, the beast who was once was is now is not. It's a tongue twister. It's like Doctor Seuss. Is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven. And is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings with the beast. They have but one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and King of kings, and with him. We, will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put in their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand her over to the beast, to the royal, the royal authority, until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is a great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So, um, so you might feel like that's kind of harsh. <laughs> we kind of got, to, we talked about this a little bit last week. Is that, uh, does that feel a little rough? What do you guys think? They will leave, they will bring her to ruin, leave her naked, eat her flesh and burn her with fire. How's that, how's that, how's that sound, everybody? Are we... Go in peace. Have a good night. (laughs) What do you think about that? It's kind of graphic. Anything? And it's not like, yeah, I'm just curious, how, how do you feel about that passage? Like that little phrase, does that seem like, this, is anybody bothered by that? Or do you guys, I'm cool, it's eating your flesh. Like. I mean, maybe it's because I'm in a different mood, but this one doesn't bother me as much as our last, like okay. last week did. Last week was so aggravating to me, but this yeah. one is more of like, I don't, yeah. I don't have as much of a strong reaction to this one. I think the idea behind it is just... There's so much where, like, when you're pursuing this, people are just eating one, one, one another. Like, you know, there's, like, it's so it's such a cutthroat life when you are just trying to put yourself first and when you're just trying to build your own kingdom. And that's really what you see. Like, the, the idea of really 17 and 18 is, like, it's, it's really a warning. It's, like, if you give your life to this, it ends badly for you. So, because, again... We're talking to the seven churches in two and three. And then the seven churches in two and three, their life kind of sucks. It's really hard. Following, They're trying to follow Jesus, and it's really difficult for them to do that. And so they're looking around them and seeing people living in, you know, living in luxury. And they've got the, the different you know, scarlet and, and purple clothing and they've got the jewels and they've got the pearls and they've got all the stuff and they're like trying to just put food on the table and they're kind of like, what the heck, God? Like, is this really, I don't know if this is worth it. And so this imagery is really to just kind of reinforce like, well, if you go for that, it, 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 
it doesn't, it's not going to fill this thing that's inside of you that you want to fill. It's not going to get you what you want. It's going to end poorly for you. So I'm just trying to like save you a bunch of pain. I'm trying to try to save you a bunch of grief. So don't, you know, don't, just don't do that. So we go with that then into 18. I'm going to read the first eight verses. So after this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had great authority, and the earth was illuminated by its splendor. With a mighty voice, he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling for demons, and a haunt for every impure spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable animal. For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. Now we're getting into this. We're getting into this stuff. Uh, then I heard another voice from heaven say, Come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins, that you will not receive any of her plagues, for her sins are piled up to the heaven, to heaven, and God has re- remembered her crimes. Give back to her as she has given, pay her back double for what she has done, pour out a double portion from her own cup, give her as much torment and grief as the glory and luxury she gave herself. In her heart she she boasts, I sit enthroned as queen, I am not a widow, I will never mourn. Therefore, in one day her plagues will overtake her, death, mourning, and famine, she will be consumed by fire, for mighty is the Lord who judges her. Okay. So, again, we're seeing... I, the imagery, I think, is really like strong. The, verse 3, For all the nations have drunk the maddening wine of her adulteries. The kings of the earth committed adultery with her, and the merchants of the earth grew rich from her excessive luxuries. And I just have images, you know, of like this ancient Roman, you know, party in a palace, and people are just like, you know, there's just, like, money everywhere, and people are just, like, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, and they're just, like, laughing and having a great time, and they're just out of their minds. They could have, they don't have a care in the world, and they're totally ignoring the things right outside their front door. And you see kind of like, all right, well, verse 4, and this is where I want to get back to from last week. Because you look at, I think we can look at that and be like, yeah, that's messed up. And they should know better, right? I love verse 4 because verse 4 is still another chance of God saying, you can still get out of this. You can still, you can still leave. You can still leave the party. Like, you know bad stuff's happening at the party. Call an Uber. Go home. <laughs> like, I'm giving you a shot to get out of this thing so that – because. The, the, the hammer is going to come down here in a minute. And he's like, hey, while you're in the middle of this, while you maybe still have your, maybe have a fraction of your right mind left, I'm still going to give you a chance to get out of this thing. Um, and we kind of talked about that last week, that that really is the character of God throughout the Bible. Like as much as God brings like very swift final justice, he often is like, are you sure you don't want to leave? Are you sure? Are you sure you want this? It's not going to be good. Are you sure? Because I'm willing to let you go. I'm willing to let you get off. I'm willing to forget what you've done. I'm willing to, to get, let you get away from what's coming. Like, so when you hear that, what does it tell you about God's character? That that's how God looks at us. Like, to keep giving chance. Even like... I mean, this is like, they're in the middle. It's not like they're like, it's the after party and they're hungover and they're throwing up in the gutter being like, oh, I made a dumb decision. And God's like, yeah, see, now go get, no, it's like, no, they're in the middle of the party. They're like doing lines of Coke on the table. And like, you know, like they're right in the middle of like this total debaucherous party. And, and God's like, you can still go home. So maybe they're buzzed. Like they're not fully drunk. They they I think they're I think they're probably hammered. In the middle of this COVID. Really? Like, You're right, God. <laughs> <laughs> but what does it tell you about God's character that he's like like I think so this is I'm gonna get up on a little bit of a soapbox for a minute. So there is a campus ministry that will remain nameless 
that their strategy is to like go to parties and basically like live a different standard, which is which is cool, but I, the way it's been explained to me of people who like have experienced it on campus is very much like I'm a better I'm gonna go to the party and show you how much better than you that I am. I'm gonna go to this party and be like, yeah, I don't have to drink. Why do you have puke all over you? I'm I'm at the party and I'm not and I'm not and I'm not drinking. You know, like that whole posture and like when the when you say like, well, why do you do that? Well, that's where Jesus would be at the party. But see, I don't picture Jesus at the party, like walking around and like like judging everybody, being like, "Oh, Carter, you're at this party, aren't huh? Why did <laughs> why are you at this party, Carter? Shouldn't you be at Bible study? You know, like <laughs> like I I think Jesus is more like he's right in the middle of it and saying like in as like gentle a way possible. Like, are you sure? Are you sure this is what you want? Not in like a like, I told you this is going to suck. Like more like, I know you love this, but I got something else for you. I know that you think this is, makes, this makes you feel, you feel awesome right now. But I really want to offer you something else. Okay, And it's, like when you picture anything like, that's messed up, Tom. Like, I don't know. But I, I, I really feel like when he, like Jesus's reputation when he was on earth was that he was like a drunkard because he was all, not because he necessarily was getting hammered, but because he was always at parties. He was always like in the middle of it. The rest of like the Sanhedrin, they were like, oh, we can't go to that person's house because there's bad things happening there. But he was like, no, I'm going to like, how are these people going to know what hope looks like if I don't? I can't wait for them to come to church someday. He's like the DD who gets to enjoy watching everyone else, but then, like, helps them in the end. And he tries to help them, like, throughout, too. Like, I just think, like, and so, I like, when you hear that, like, how, do, how does the, how do you see God's character? How would you describe God's character based on that snapshot? I realize there's a lot of other snapshots of God that we've been getting, but, like, if that's all you knew about Jesus, that Jesus is essentially like the really nice de- designated driver that's going to try to like help you in the middle of like doing your line of coke. I don't know why I have that, but I just I just think that's. It made me laugh when you said it. Like in the middle of the party, oh, that's that guy, and he's just going to stop. He's going to put the car down and say, "No, I got to go home now." Yeah. I got church in the morning. Yeah, I got church. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> What does it tell you about God's character? I think it's um, the last chance that we thought had already passed. Mm-hmm. Well, we we are so, right, I think, we're not saying we in this room, but I think the church culture, we are so quick to count people out because it's like, do you know what they do on Saturday nights? Do you know what they watch? Do you know... And we often, as growing up in the church, we are so, I don't think we have to really talk a lot. I know there's like this big debate about, well, the reason why this world is the way it is, because we're not teaching. I think people know. I mean, I think people know, like, this is probably not the best. This is probably not the best. But we don't, like, provide any, like, good alternative. It's just like, well, you're going to do this thing, and you're probably going to feel like crap, and that's just your life, and... Instead of like, and and then God will be there to listen to you when you're in your pool of vomit. Like he'll come back and it's like, oh, great. So I got to get to the pool of vomit before like I can talk to like God. Like, no, like God is trying to meet us in this. And so, you know, I just, I love, I mean, really my favorite story of the Bible still is the story of the prodigal son. Because this is a guy that like was kind of a total jerk. I was going to say another word, but I realized that last week I had to, like... Uh, explicit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, like, I mean, basically, I mean, just to recap, the story of the Sermon on the Mount, or not Sermon on the Mount, but the prodigal son is you have a son who asks his dad for his birthright before he's dead. 
which basically says, Dad, I, I like your money more than I like you. I just wish you would die so I can have your money. And, and in that culture, it, I love, like, we don't have all the subtext because we're 20, you know, 21st century Americans. But in that culture, they would have totally expected the next sentence of that story to be like, and the father backslapped, you know, the son across the face and kicked him out of the house and told them, you're out of the will. Like, that is what he had every right to do. But then he actually gives him the money, knowing that he's going to go do stupid crap with it. He still gives him the money, and he still goes out, and then he comes back. And even that, like, he doesn't make the son walk all the way up to the house, sit down, give him a lecture. No, he, like, hops off the porch and runs to the son when he's a great distance off. Again, Men in that culture do not run. Like it's a humiliating thing to lift up your robes to run because just they don't wear underwear. So if you have to lift up your robes to run, <laughs> sorry for that visual, but <laughs> sorry for that visual, but that's. I mean, if you don't, oh, they're, you're gonna run fast. You <laughs> Puts it over his head and he's just like. <laughs> Cut some eye holes out now, but but it's it's but it's yeah, <laughs> but it's like but it's this like completely undignified thing that the father is doing for the son, and it's like it goes against and I, and we often are like the older brother who's like, well, why are you throwing him a party? I stayed was the good kid, and he went off, and like that's the whole story, and Jesus is like. He was gone. He's back, and I, I'm gonna focus on that rather than you being a dink over here, like <laughs> complaining about your brother who's a, who's a mess, like you know. And and so there's like a double edged thing to that. So then, so we've got this beauty. We got this this cool picture of come out of her because her sins are piled, and you know this is gonna come. And then and there's this arrogance. There's this arrogance of, in her heart she boasts, I sit enthroned as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never mourn. Like, this is, like, I, it's, it's kind of like the person who sits listening to, like, a Bible study or listening to a message and is like, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's never going to happen to me. I'm fine. I don't have to worry. Don't worry about it. It's like, well, no. So we get to verse 9. When the kings of the earth who committed adultery with her shared her luxury, see the smoke of her burning, they will weep and mourn over her. Terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, Woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour your doom has come. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, and articles of every kind made of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cargoes of cinnamon and spice, of incense, myrrh, and frankincense, of wine and olive oil, of fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and carriages, and human beings sold as slaves. They will say, the fruit of your long, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. The merchants who sold these things will be and gain their wealth from her will be will stand far off, terrified at her torment. They will weep and mourn and cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Every sea captain and all who tra- travel by ship, the sailors and all who earn their living from the sea, will stand far off. And when they see the smoke of her burning, they will exclaim, was there ever a city like this great city? They will throw dust on their heads and with weeping and mourning cry out, Woe, woe to you, great city, where all the ships at sea became rich through her wealth. In one hour she has been brought to ruin. Rejoice over her, you heavens. Rejoice, you people of God. Rejoice, apostles and prophets, for God has judged her and the, with the judgment she imposed on you. So I'm going to pause there for a second. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll finish. 
Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone, threw it into the sea, and said, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never be found again. The music of harpists, musicians, and pipers and trumpeters will never be heard in you again. No worker of any trade will ever be found in you again. The sound of a millstone will never be heard in you again. The light of a lamp will never shine in you again. The voice of a bridegroom and bride will never be heard in you again. The merchants were the world were the where were the world important people, but your magic spell by your magic spell all led all the nation all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of the prophets and of God's holy people, all who have been slaughtered on the earth. So it all comes to a close. But here's the thing. A couple things going on here. First of all, talking about Babylon, but Babylon's a symbol of Rome. All of those things, if you go back to... 11, 12, 13, all of those items that are described are all imports. They're all things that are imported to Rome. And what Jesus is trying to say to John, what John's trying to say is like, Rome doesn't really have anything for itself. There's nothing about Rome that is great. Like the only reason Rome has this stuff is because it has to steal it from everywhere else or it has to get it from everywhere else. Like all of these, you know, gold and silver and precious stones, these are all things that often were gained from either treaties from other countries or other nations that they had conquered and they had manipulated, you know, that country and basically robbed them of their riches and brought it into Rome. But Rome itself does not have these things. Even the slaves, you know, you didn't really have Romans who were slaves. They import, it's kind of like our, the history of our country. We imported slaves from other nations to, to do the stuff we didn't want to do and built a whole economy on it. And so John's trying to, this whole passage, John's trying to show you like, this thing that looks real again, this thing that looks really great to you, this thing that everybody says is it, this all-powerful Roman Empire, this thing that people are giving their allegiance to, it is not worth it. It is not as great as you think it is. It is not as wonderful. It's not, it's 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 just like the prostitute. It's empty. It looks really bright and shiny and sparkly from the outside, but when you really take a look at it, there's nothing to it. It's this empty thing. And so that is this idea is like all it lists out all of these things because these are the goods that everybody wanted. You know, citron wood was this really expensive kind of wood that was used in architecture and used in furniture that everybody wanted. You know, it's kind of like, you know, kitchens with granite countertops. You, like, you want that really nice like. Like these are these these things that people are, everybody desires this and that. And it's like, well, the only reason that Rome has this is because they've manipulated, you know, they've exploited some other country to get this stuff. This isn't anything from them. And so this whole idea of like the the luxury and splendor, it's like, yeah, when you actually like demystify, you know, Rome as like this almighty empire, which that was the propaganda is that like Rome is like, Rome will give you everything you want. Rome will take care of all your needs. Rome will protect you. Rome will fulfill everything. It's like, and basically this whole idea of like being stripped naked is like this whole idea of like, let me just show you what this really is. And there's just, it's just not worth it. And if you give your life to this, like you're going to, you're going to watch it from afar. And so you have all these people the sea captains and sailors and all these people who have made their fortunes on this exploitive and exploited this system are all in the scene now where you can just, I mean, you can just visualize. I love that John's imagery is really, really, I mean, it's a vision. He's describing this vision. It's like, they're all like just kind of standing around Rome and just watching it burn and being like, wow, I gave my whole life for that. Like, we, we did all that stuff for that? Like, that's why I, I did this? I, it was, I was working for that? Like, oh, 
why did I, why did I do that? And this is like, you know, if you think about some of our great literature, like this is what, you know, we love stories where you have like wealthy people who like, you know, stuck up wealthy millionaires that, you know, get a heart, you know, like the Scrooge kind of thing, or like, we love that. But the reality is like, that doesn't happen very often, right? Like we don't get to that point. And so this is John just showing like, yeah, like there is going to be a point where if you have given your life to this, and we're going to see this really in 19 and 20 as this gets wrapped up. So you have to come back in two weeks. When you see this come back, it's just, it's, you're going to have to account for that. Like if this is what you've given, if you put your trust in, in being rich and powerful and it, like there's a bill to pay for that. There's a, there's consequences for that life. And that's the contrast. So this great, this great, like, you know, even like 19 and 20, it's kind of interesting. You see the contrast of like, on the one hand, you have all these people who have made their living and who have made their life out of like exploiting this system. And they're all, whoa, and they're crying and they're, you know, you know, woe to you, great city, where all the all who had ships at sea became rich. And in one hour, they've been brought to ruin. You think about, like, I think about the images of, like, those times in our history when the stock market just crashes. You know, people are jumping out of, like, office windows because they've lost everything. Like, that's the image of this part. But then the next picture in 20, verse 20, is rejoice over you, you heavens. Rejoice because God's judged her with the judgment she posed. And he was like, it's God's basically saying like, you know, those people who have made your life a living hell. Well, they're experiencing that now they get to like, they get to experience what, what, what they've done to you their whole life. They're now experiencing the, they're going to get, and that's, that's like really the promise of, of the book of revelation. It's why and it, we were talking about last night in my, in my small group to like, I was like, you know, revelation is a book of hope. You're like, it's a book of hope. It really seems pretty messed up. There's a lot of judgment, but it's this idea of like, if you've been on the receiving end of being mistreated by people and being mistreated, it's like, take confidence. And like, they're going to have to deal. They're gonna have to pay that bill at some point and they're not going to be able to pay it. And so just trust in like, you don't have to, take matters in your own hands you don't have to you know start a revolution you don't have to just just know god is going to take care of this god is going to work this out and so i know we kind of like we breeze through tonight but that really is that's the big picture and and when we get to the last week we're going to hold that picture up all of these people weeping and mourning to a picture of the kingdom of God coming in where it says there and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. No one's crying. No one, there's no pain. There's no agony. There's no, so there's really like a stark contrast of like, there's this picture of this whole system. It's on fire and people are saying, Oh my gosh, I can't believe I wasted my life doing that. And the flip side is like God's people in the kingdom of God being like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, all the crap that I had to deal with in my life and all the struggle that I had to deal with and all the challenges of trying to be faithful to Jesus. Like this is the, this is what the payoff is. And man, I can't even imagine how amazing this is. So that's, that's kind of the contrast between the two. All right. That's a lot. Any questions, any thoughts? So I, sorry, I talked a lot tonight, but there's a lot to just kind of. I have a Mm-hmm. Um, I've actually been thinking about this a lot. So, like, I know that, especially what we've been talking about, like, there's, like, people that believe in God and follow God, and then there's people that are, like, anti-Christ. So, like, I know a few people from college and, like, obviously everywhere that are, like, really great people and just, like, good people, but they're just not Christ followers. Like, they're just, they're just not. So, like, what, where do they lie on this so, it's a great question. First thing I would say is 
I, you, you never know a person's heart, like where they're actually at. Um, and so I'm never going to say, well, Jackie's definitely in. Crystal, out. <laughs> like, you know, like I don't feel like I, that's my job to like, <laughs> to make that, to like make that distinction. At the same time, what you're going to see, especially next week, um, you know, it talks really specifically about those whose names are written in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so I would say people who are live lives, because I know people like that too, that are like, they're really good people. They don't believe in Jesus, but they're really good folks. I would say the only reason that they are good people is that there is a general revelation of God, like they are God's creation and they are, there is, there is the fingerprints of God in their lives. But I do believe, and I do think that Revelation 19 and 20 is going to show like at some point they, they will need to acknowledge like Christ is Lord. And um, that's hard because it's, because I mean, you and I all probably all know people who are, who claim to be Christians and are probably not as good of folks as some of the people you're talking about, right? You know, and that seems very unfair. But at the same time, so here's, I don't want to spoil next week too much. Mm-hmm. But there's a piece of your works don't bring you salvation. But at the same time, like, if your life doesn't match up with what you say, the Bible kind of teaches too, like, you know, there, it talks about the, the fruits of the Spirit. You know, that's what we kind of, we, a lot of us learned the fruits of the Spirit when we grew, when we were growing up, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Well, think about, like, just people in general. Like, how many Christians really, like, that are kind of more on the fundamentalist side are not very loving, are not very joyful, are not very pe- peaceful, are not very patient, are not very kind. I do feel like that is sort of uh, the fruits of the spirit are a little bit of like a identifier for us to know, like as somebody walking with the Lord. And so I guess what I would say, if you if you do see somebody who does have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, I would say like there's there's something in there. Even if they don't acknowledge it at this point, there's something in there that they have caught somehow. And so the prayer is just like that they catch that full revelation of like, man, where this comes from is is from the Lord. So, and I would just say, I mean, I think that's where, I know like the, the, the word like, well, especially the word evangelical has definitely been tough, but just the word like evangelism of like sharing our faith. Again, I think, that has been over the last 20 plus years has been really viewed to be in a dark, like a negative light because it's like, well, I don't want to tell somebody what to believe and I don't want to be super judgy and I don't want to like come down on somebody, but there's different ways to go about it. You know, like I think sometimes we have this image of somebody like standing on a street corner down by the sprint center with a Bible, like beating it and telling you like, you're going to go to hell if you don't. And that's not, that's not what we're talking about. You know, and so I think, I think we have to rethink in our age, how do we communicate the love of Christ in a way that does justice to what we're talking about rather than it's just like, well, I talked about Jesus and they said, no, I'm good. Like I did my duty, you know? And so that's, I, mean, I think I just, I, I would just encourage all of you guys, like, like, your life will be as much of a message, as much, as much of a, you know, sharing your faith as anything you say. So as much as you can focus on that. And then, you know, I just really try to, like, pray for opportunities to have a conversation. Like, I think I remember the very first day, or not the very first day, but, like, right when I started being a youth pastor, I had the opportunity to go work for, like, a park in, Parks and Rec for their day camp stuff. And I'm like, Oh cool. I'm going to have a chance to like spend like these days, these trips with all these kids who don't know Jesus. And like, and so I remember sitting on the bus and being like really anxious and like, okay, who am I going to talk to Jesus about first? Which one of these kids am I going to talk to? And I really felt the Holy Spirit being like, Tom, just sit, just 
be on the bus. Just be with them and listen first. Just find out what's going on in their lives first. I'll bring those other opportunities to you. And I know there's like a sense of urgency, but I think it's, it's really to our benefit to listen a lot more than we like want to, we always want we always think about evangelism like trying to talk about our faith i think we if we listen well enough there will those opportunities will come and i also just think um it's not on our timetable i mean i think so often it's like oh, i've got this friend and i've only got we're only going to be going to college one more year and i gotta if i don't talk to jesus if i don't then i become a christian by the time we graduate then i don't know what's going to happen it's like god isn't that that's like, I think sometimes we think, well, I don't want to screw it up for somebody, so I don't want to say anything. It's like, you don't have that much power to screw it up, mm-hmm. you know? And so I think just to be mindful and prayerful and patient and just, you know, those friends that you care about, I think just be praying for them and pray that God will reveal himself. And if God wants to use you in that, I think that's where you say, ask God, if you want me to say something, give me the words to say and help me to know, give me the wisdom to know when to say it, you know? So... But it, that is hard, though. I think especially, like I say, when you, when you see people who are Christians who tend to behave more poorly than those who don't, that's, that's, that's a struggle. And I think that's something that we have to wrestle through as well. So, All right, people. It's 920. I'm going to call wrap on this.